This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, January 22nd, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. The scholarship tax credit is among the easiest ways to extend school choice to parents. How do they work? What are the costs and benefits to the education establishment? Mark LeBlanc is a policy analyst with the Commonwealth Foundation in Pennsylvania. He describes how scholarship tax credits have functioned there. We spoke in October in Colorado Springs. Many states have scholarship tax credits uh, for young people to attend school, particularly those with uh, lower to middle incomes. Uh, What is – how is Pennsylvania's program designed? Thanks, Caleb. Uh, So Pennsylvania's program is designed – we have two of them, two programs. And we call them – the naming is unfortunate. Um, The main program is EITC, which everybody in the world – thinks earned income tax credit. It's the educational improvement tax credit program. So those are your low and middle income students that are eligible. Um, and then the second program is OSTC, Opportunity Scholarship Tax Credit Program. These are your low performing schools. How it works is the business donates the money for the tuition. So a business, any business. And any business. And now actually individuals can get involved too, but we can we can dive into that if you if you want to. Um, then the business gets a tax credit. It's either ninety percent or seventy five percent of their donation, depending on their level of commitment. Um, so it's yeah, it's connecting businesses to their communities. Okay, and then the and then the kids. Uh, the kids. You said two programs. One of this for low and middle income. Right. Right. So in total, it's about fifty thousand scholarships. Between okay. the two programs, if you count pre-K, it's fifty-eight thousand. And what's the average scholarship size? Average is two thousand dollars. Okay, so not enough for full tuition almost anywhere, but enough to contribute something significant. It, you're you're right. Yeah, I mean, average, you know, private elementary in in Pennsylvania is like five thousand dollars. And so, in in dealing with this issue, generally, I you know, when I hear the education establishment complain, it is you're going to hollow out. Uh, public education. You're going to uh, give businesses a tax break uh, in order to assist the process of hollowing out public education. Well, I mean, there's there are many responses to that, but but the top two are you're, you're reducing class size, which is, is something that people complain about constantly. Um, and it's, it's actually, it increases the per pupil funding at the district level, so so they're they're cash positive. Okay, well that's an, and that's an important distinction because because yeah. uh, that is a tip, very typical complaint about tax credit yeah. scholarships. And, and I mean, we we make the moral case. Um, you know, every child deserves to thrive in education that meets their needs, and who can best provide that? You know, do we want government funded, government delivered education, or are there other arrangements that might? work better for people. Okay. So uh, what have the neighbors of Pennsylvania done? The neighbors, well, the neighbors haven't done a whole lot, but we've got, um, so Florida's got a great program. Um, Arizona's got a great program. There's a bunch of different states have done tax credit scholarships. We like to look at Florida because the two programs tracked. Um, They were originated around the same time, early 2000s, 2001. And they tracked together. So Florida and Pennsylvania were serving the same number of students, same number of dollars until 2011. Then Florida implemented what's known as an automatic escalator. So many of these programs are subject to caps. The government says, oh, we're only going to dish out so many revenue credits. So Florida 
implement, you know, it's, it's the cap goes up a certain percentage based on the percentage of credits that are issued. And since then, Florida's program has skyrocketed. They, they serve twice as many students as we do now. Their scholarship is three times the size. So Florida's done it really well. We could do well by emulating what Florida's done. Okay. Uh, to the extent that states are thinking about scholarship tax credits, and, and uh, many are, including my home state of Kentucky, uh, what, what do you want to tell lawmakers and policymakers about the substantive policy uh, with respect to uh, scholarship tax credits, its impact on public schools, and uh, what it enables young people to do? First thing is it'll it'll help your public schools. So that's the that's probably the number one complaint you hear is, oh, this is going to destroy funding for public schools and it's going to destroy quality for public schools. Um, it's it's going to do nothing of the kind. Um, secondly, you're going to provide quality education to kids that most need it. I like to tell the story. There's a fellow in Philadelphia named Anthony Samuels, and he attended um, one of the worst school districts in all of Pennsylvania. And he starts his story by saying, I'm the only male in my family without a criminal record. Dad went to jail. Grandpa went to jail. Uncles went to jail. Well, this guy went to college, got a degree, owns a business. Why? Because he had a tax credit scholarship. He went to the Abington Friends School instead of Strawberry Mansion High School. There are design elements that are critical for a lot of these scholarship tax credit programs. I know in New Hampshire, as you mentioned, Florida, they have this sort of creeping cap on – on the maximum amount right. of total deduction, total credits that may be right. Uh, taken. Right. So, so caps are only going to limit the supply. So if, if you want long wait lists of students, you know, who need to get in, but can't, then you'll cap your program. Um, if you want every child who deserves to get in, needs to get in, then you'll, you'll either, you know, set a cap that automatically increases or you won't set a cap at all. Okay. And why have it creep up? Why not do just a, massive, massive uh, program from day one. Yeah. Personally, I don't think there should be any cap at all. Right. There's, there's a major union presence in Pennsylvania and, um, you know, they're, they're the biggest lobby in the state and as they, as they are many places, but their influence stretches far and wide. So you tend to, nothing makes a liberal progressive into a fiscal conservative like school choice, right? They'll instantly start talking about the fiscal impact. Um, so I, I think that's what you've got going on there. Another thing to consider is, is the scholarship acts as a voucher. It's not a voucher because it's a tax credit, but you can only use it for tuition at a private school. Um, I think something like a tax credit ESA would be even better where you, you still have the tax credit as the mechanism, but, um, you have a bit more flexibility in how you use that. And then, um, in terms of how it's structured, We've shot ourselves in the foot a little bit by having very many tax credit scholarship organizations. So they actually flow through scholarship organizations who they issue the the tax credits yes. to the students, the students. So it, it's good because it's, you know, you've, you've got almost a free market effect among scholarship organizations. Um, it's bad in terms of coordination. So in terms of engaging parents, getting parents to, um, you know, lobby their lawmakers on behalf of the program. It's it's just very hard to coordinate that. 
Mark LeBlond is a policy analyst at the Commonwealth Foundation in Pennsylvania. We spoke in Colorado Springs in October. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.